Welcome to the Saturday version of the Daily Walk. You've made it to the beginning of the weekend. And we're at the beginning of a new book called 1 Corinthians. Paul writes to the church of Corinth while he's visiting Ephesus to address some of the problems they're having, just like any new church or any organization that starts out. There's difficulties because people want to follow a certain person or a certain way. Maybe they're having difficulty adjusting to a new way of life and giving up old ways of life. So Paul tries to give them instruction to try to help them along. And one of the first things he does is he wants to encourage them for who they are. And he tells them he made you holy by means of Christ Jesus, just as he did for all people everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, through him, God has enriched your church in every way with all of your eloquent words and all of your knowledge. This confirms what I told you about Christ is true. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly await for the return of the Lord. But then he goes into an appeal, and he's like, come on, you're a church, you all have Jesus, you're all made one, so let's be one. He appeals to them by the authority of the Lord Jesus to live in harmony with each other. Don't let there be divisions. Be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Because he's heard about quarrels they're having. He's heard about these things that they're saying about, well, I'm going to follow Paul, and I'm going to follow Apollos, and I'm going to follow Peter. And here's a big one that we hear still today. You know, we do hear about that. Well, I'm going to follow so-and-so, and I'm going to follow so-and-so. And then... People say, well, I'm only going to follow Christ. And that's that's the church hurt people. They don't want to go to church because they only want to follow Christ. And, you know, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we see today in the church a lot where a certain minister or pastor will come in and people fall in love with that person and then he moves on to a new assignment and then the church falls apart because the people were more about following the person than the Holy Spirit, than the Lord. And, you know, we in our little remnant have already seen something like that where we had a, a person come in and help us with outreach. And because we didn't or couldn't, I wouldn't say didn't want to, but because we couldn't do some things in the time frame that that person wanted, he left. 
And when he left, the people left that came with him, and they would come into our church and say, hey, where's so-and-so? And we would say, we haven't heard from him, which was truth for those that they were asking. And so they left. And the, a lot of those people didn't come, and they're only going to go where he goes. And, you know, while that's all fine, if that's what you want to do, the truth is what Paul says, we are one body, and Christ isn't divided. Christ isn't divided into factions. Paul wasn't crucified for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. This person that I'm talking about wasn't crucified for you. And we weren't baptized in the name of an individual. We're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what we really need to think about is what are we worshiping? Who are we worshiping? Why do we go to church? And yeah, we need the leaders we have, but the leaders are the cultivators, the waterers, the ones that breathe life, that are the messengers. And I really like this part from Paul because he brings to light that <clears throat> the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destructions but we are saved by the very power of God. So if we know that God is in control, then we will listen to what God says. Because then Paul goes into a dissertation about where does real wisdom come from? Real wisdom comes from God. And God will take the very people that were made to look foolish and turn them into the wisest of people. He'll give wisdom to people. And that's, you know, I've seen that. You know, we I have the thing on my bookshelf that said, God qualifies the called. And one of my friends who's in ministry is one of the wisest people I know and his denomination wanted him to go through the ordination process and go through what they want him to do in schooling so he could be ordained and I thought man how is that going to be because he's smarter than the people that are teaching it. He knows more than the people that are teaching it. And it's not because he has been through school already, but it's because God has called him and qualified him, and he has taken the time and the effort to prepare himself through the power of the Holy Spirit to know what God has called him to know. So God has taken someone who who wasn't prepared and prepared him. And now because of legalistic stuff, they have said, hey, you need to do our way. And so because we just read back in Romans how we got to respect authority, out of respect for authority, he went through all that process. 
Now, did he get ordained and all that in the end? I'm not really sure. But I know he was one that doesn't go into division because he lives in love and he did what was expected of him. And I can only imagine what kind of interjection he could offer because the Holy Spirit works through him. And I know that the wisdom he imparts is huge. So what Paul says here is, remember, dear brothers and sisters, the few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose things the world considered foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. (laughs) And this is so like my friend. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considered important. So, when the Lord blesses you immensely, remember, no one can ever boast in the presence of God because God is the one that does this. So today we're in 1 Corinthians 1 through 6. It sounds like a lot of reading, but we're actually, they're not very long chapters because Paul is writing this letter to the church of Corinth. So you got to remember that this whole book, all the books that Paul writes are the epistles. They are Pauline letters. And these are letters he writes from prison where he's been locked up somewhere in a mission trip or from Rome. As he is writing to the churches he has started or has helped get started. So what we need to do is put ourselves in the context of we are reading a letter sent to us. And that really is interesting. So a lot of these may look like, oh, that's a lot of reading, but really it's just part of his letter. So in chapter two, um, Paul gets into uh, the wisdom and where wisdom comes from. Wisdom has all come from God. It's all about God. And he, and he talks about his own wisdom and how he doesn't use his knowledge base and his wisdom. I love this because he says, I don't use clever and persuasive speeches to talk to you. I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, and I love that. I learned that early in college myself, that I don't need to go to uh, sermon starters. I don't need to go to sermon helps you know there's all kinds of things out there that that are pre-organized pre-assembled sermons for people and i i learned early in college and actually learned this from my friend that i was talking about if we want to give the best sermon we need to spend time with god and listen to the holy spirit let him direct us and so when i actually started spending time alone with god in the early morning that's when I could hear God, and the Lord would always direct me. That's why I have problems with sermon series. And I'm not saying sermon series are wrong, because the Lord will direct me in that way too. But 
the reality is I have to hear something. And I'll, I'll be honest, there's times I can get to Thursday and I haven't really heard yet. And then the Lord will just hit me with something and I'll be focused on it. And, and like this week I've been working on something and I was trying to, I kept thinking there's got to be something else. And the Lord's like, no, I want you to stay here. There's something here you can get out of this. You stay here. And when the Lord gives you that message, you have to stay there because that's where he is taking you. So that means you study what there and listen. Look for the unscripted scripted. Look for the underlying. Look for the key words. Look for the things because the Lord is trying to speak something to you. And so when you spend time in there, the Lord really speaks. And so what Paul also says is when I listen to the Holy Spirit, he also not only gives me all the things to say, but he also lets me know that when I need to up the ante, like change my speak pattern for other people, I do which later we'll hear, I got to be all things to all people, okay? So, and and I know for me, like when I write for blogs and I got to publish, I do like four or five editions because my writing will be a lot different because it's got to be, you know, able to pass a publisher, so to speak. And so it's a lot more... uh detailed and a lot what is in my mind has to come onto the paper and a lot of times that is hard to do especially in a rough draft so Paul makes all that note and he says no one can know a person's thoughts except that person's own spirit and so we have to realize that what we're thinking doesn't always come out but here's what's really cool no one can know God's thoughts except God's own spirit. True? But when you are filled with the spirit and you receive God's spirit, then you're allowed into God's realm, right? And that's when you can begin to understand and know the wonderful things God has freely given us. So that's when we start understanding and hearing what God wants for us. And that's what Paul's writing here. And that's when we start speaking the words given to us by the Spirit, using the Spirit words to explain spiritual truths. That's because we start knowing the mind of Christ better because we get it now. We understand these things. That's what Paul writes. Because we have the mind of Christ. I don't know about you, but that's the mind I want. All right? So we get into chapter 3, and Paul starts addressing division again because we got people uh, divided between Apollos and uh, Paul again. But he says this because the reason we're divided is because... We're still thinking with our sinful mindsets. 
we're still thinking that way because we're controlled by our sin. Why does he say that? Because I still had to feed you with milk, not solid food. That means you're not ready for anything stronger. That means you're still controlled by your sinful nature. By now I should be feeding you meat, <laughs> but you're not ready. How do I know this? Because you quarrel with one another. You're That's showing me you're still controlled. You're not living, you're still, you're living like people of the world because you're saying, I'm following Paul and I'm following Apollos. We can't do that. One of us plants, one of us cultivates, but God makes it grow. We got to get away from the mindset of, hey, if this person leaves, I'm following him. If this person leaves, I'm following him or her. We got to come to church expecting an encounter with the one true God, not an individual that's on the platform, period. <laughs> when we start coming to church or a meeting place and expecting an encounter with the one true God, it won't matter. And here's a true story. I have a, I have a really close friend. I love this person dearly because it was through his ministry that I was wrecked and you can catch that on my other podcast of reckoning and the first time I heard him speak I didn't didn't he wasn't my friend I didn't didn't like it didn't like the way it was delivered so I didn't really care for him and then I heard he was coming again to an area that we were at and, and I was going to have to be there for it. And I was like cringing at the thought. And here's what, you know, I listened to the Holy Spirit, right? And the Holy Spirit said, no, you go and you listen to me through him. So what's that saying? That says you're not going to hear a man. You're going to experience an encounter of God through what's said. It's not about a person. It's about me. <laughs> and oh my goodness, I went and I am telling you, I am so elated in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord showed me that he was his chosen vessel, that man is. And that the Lord moves through him and that I had the wrong impression. I repented. I was broken. The Lord totally changed my perspective and everything I do in my life through this person. The person is a super close friend of mine now. And I am so thankful that the Lord moved through him, through me, so that I could see that. But that's a really sincere story of how we have to go with the expectancy to experience the Lord in an encounter through someone not or through a service and not encounter an experience from a person because the Holy Spirit uses people as his chosen vessels and it's not through the person that you're going, you you can't worship a person. You know, when Paul or Peter and goes through the temple, those people want to worship him. And, you know, when he goes to see uh, 
Cornelius, and he says, no, get up. I'm just a man like you. What do you need me here for? Because he knew the Lord summoned him back in Acts. And he said, you know, I need to hear the good news. And so they were changed. So we have to understand that we can't worship a person. And so Paul says, don't you realize that all you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys that temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So don't be the divisive part. An abomination to the Lord we know in Proverbs is one that causes dissension or divisiveness in the church. And that goes for leaders too. If you're if you're promoting a divisive spirit, then woe to the man. And Paul's writing about that in chapter 3. Chapter 4 is, uh, you know, don't be judgmental because God's going to bring out the darkest secrets in people. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, so don't be judgmental. You think you have everything you need. You think you're already rich. You've already begun to reign. Don't get pompous. Don't get, don't get uh, prideful in all that you do. And then what I really like in chapter 4 is Paul describes life as a pastor. In verses 10 through 13, Paul describes life as a pastor's family. And I, I think people go over this and they don't even register this. But remember, this is a letter to the church. And this this really, these three verses are total pastor families many times. Now, I know there's mega churches where this doesn't stand true. But for the majority of churches, this is a pastor's family. We are weak, but you are so powerful. The people. Um, our, dedication, our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. Because, you know, a pastor's family will always take the hit. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. I mean, the pastor's family always takes the hit. The pastor, the pastor's wife, the kids. There's so many kids that have turned away from God because of the way they were treated as pastor's kids. And I know this because I've interviewed kids that were PKs and have run. And it all has to do with the way they were treated. Uh, even now, we go hungry and thirsty and we don't even ha we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. So... Pastors often get paid the least if they get paid at all. The kids, I mean, pastors usually don't even have health insurance. Pastors usually, and I, this is not, I'm just saying, Paul is writing about the ministerial family. I know there's mega churches. I know there's exceptions to this. But I so relate to this. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us because mo a lot of times, you know, the other day I, I'm coaching basketball and the AD says, hey, make sure you see me before you have practice. 
and and it was a good meeting. It was good. But I said, hey, man, as a pastor, that's the worst thing we want to hear because it's always bad. And he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I said, yeah. So next time you do that, just head me off that, you know, what your topic is. Just because it always puts a sense of fear over us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us. Yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash right up to the present moment. So that, I mean, as harsh as that sounds, that's really a pastor's reality a lot of times. And a lot of that is reality for even the megachurch pastor. So this is to the church in Corinth, and I think he wants us to see that we can do better because we don't need divisiveness. That's his real point is we don't need divisiveness. We don't want to do that. And he's like, don't get prideful in where you're at because now you're a board member. Now you're a, a leader in the church. Now you give tithe. Now you, you know, you've got a prominent position. Now you follow the one you want to follow because uh, you don't want to do that. Stay humble in the Lord and take care of those that you're supposed to take care of. Chapter 5, he addresses some immorality going on in the church. And the immorality is some sexual sin. And he's telling them that you can't have that going on as leaders in the church. When he talked about getting rid of sexual sin, he wasn't talking about unbelievers. You can't do that. That's going to happen. And what my friend always says is sinners are supposed to sin. We're supposed to help them understand there's a better life for them. But when leaders in the church are getting caught up in sexual sin, you have to address that and remove that from leadership. You can't have that. It just can't happen. And yes, there will be fallout. I had to deal with that in one of my churches. There will be fallout. And then I was at a church that I found out didn't address it, and that was the scar on it from the whole society. You have to address that. One of my other friends says, if you don't take care of issues like that in your church because you're afraid to lose people, that's when you will really start losing people because society will look at it and say, if you're not going to take care of stuff like that, we don't want to be a part of that. And I know a church where that literally happened. And they had this black cloud over them forever, and people didn't want to be a part of there. They wouldn't step foot in there because they knew what took place there. And so Paul is saying, you can't do that. You got to take care of it and make sure that's happening because you can't set that kind of picture for the people. And in chapter 6, he says, and besides that, you, and you can't argue amongst yourselves to the point of suing each other. Believers shouldn't be suing believers. Believers should be taking care of it. What kind of picture are we painting for the world? If we get so mad at each other, we're just going to say, oh, I'm going to sue you. That doesn't work. Now, he's not saying you can't, there, there should never be lawsuits with certain entities. But he's saying if you're a friend in the church gets mad at you and you get mad at them, you don't just sue them. You try to work it out because we're supposed to be loved to each other. Remember, Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. Then the world will know you're my disciples. John 13, 34, and 35. 
and if we're supposed to be the church and we're supposed to love each other like he's loved us and but and we're suing each other how is the world going to know we're disciples cuz what the world's going to say is if that's what it's like I don't want to be there that's not what I'm about if that's what the church is about I don't need that so we're not going to do that so that's where the church hurt says I only follow Christ and when that happens, you know, what's that say about the bride? Jesus said he's coming back for a bride that's without blemish, without spot or wrinkle. And Paul's really saying here, if that spot and wrinkle is on there, he's not, we, we're not going to enter the kingdom, period. And he says that here, those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or who commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Because some of us were once like that, and he's saying this to the Corinthians, but you were cleansed, you were made holy. Remember, you were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. So he's reminding them, hey, we don't do that anymore. This is like when... Peter slices off Malchus's ear, and Jesus said, put your sword away. We aren't like that. That's not what we do. And so Paul reminds us that sexual sin, man, when we do that, we violate the oath of when two become one because when the Holy Spirit lives in us, he's in us. We are one with God, and if we violate that oath of being one with God with some kind of sexual sin, then we violate that because when we partake in any kind of sexual immorality, you can fill that blank in. We become one with whatever that is. Yeah. And then we have adulterated the relationship we have with God. Think about that. Yeah, that's how Paul closes us. We can't do that. So he says, run from sexual sin. Sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. And God bought you with a high price. So honor God with your body. Yes. Think about it that way. The Holy Spirit lives in you, so don't adulterate the union of two becoming one in any way, shape, or form. And let's be united in Jesus Christ. We are the soldiers of the cross. We don't wrestle flesh and blood. Okay? Let's do that. I love this. We, Paul is just trying to give us guidelines. Let's remember if we've accepted Jesus and we have had the second means of grace, that infilling of the Holy Spirit, we, the biggest part we need to do is remember the Holy Spirit lives in us and we need to be love. I can't say that enough. And when we be loved like Jesus is love, then the world will know we're his disciples. 
Have a great Saturday. Prepare yourselves for an experience with an encounter with the one true God this Sabbath day tomorrow, and we'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.